0: Amen. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 again this evening. We were there this morning and it took a while to get, a, get the first verse across, so we're going to come back and make another run at it. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's good to be in the Lord's house tonight. I'm very thankful for God's grace in our lives. And we're again going to be picking on the pastor tonight. We're going to look at the Bible and qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy, all a part of uh, studying this subject that really is very precious to many of us, and that is serving the Lord, servant leadership. What a blessing. Isn't it a blessing that God would allow us to serve Him? As as the song was communicating in, in my own heart, it's amazing to me that, that God would even save us, really. I mean, that He would love us, that He would pay the price, that He would do everything necessary for our redemption. But then that He would allow us to serve Him. We don't deserve such a privilege, and yet He wants us to be a part of His work. We're laborers together with the Lord. And so uh, that's kind of where we are tonight in this study. So if you found it, 1 Timothy 3, let's stand together, please. And if you're able to stand, and let's read... These seven verses, we read them last Sunday night. Read read one of them uh, this morning and we'll read these seven again. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then, keep in mind, Paul is writing this letter, this epistle to Timothy who was a pastor he's describing what pastors uh, which pastors should look like a pastor then must be blameless we're going to look at these qualifications tonight the husband of one wife vigilant sober of good behavior given to hospitality apt to teach not given to wine no striker Not greedy, of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We're not going to be able to spend really the time that is probably deserved in each of these verses, but we're going to go through these verses tonight. And uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we do need your help tonight as we study your word. We we know that no matter how many times we read a passage, that Lord, we ought to read it with faith. We ought to read it trusting you to open our eyes that we could behold wondrous things out of thy law. So I pray that tonight you'd bless. God, help us. We We thank you that we're not only believers, but, Lord, that we are instructed and privileged to live by the Word of God. And we also know that none of us on our own are capable of being everything that you would have us to be, but we thank you that you give us grace and you enable us and equip us, and we're thankful for those things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So really this passage about the pastor is talking about the character, what kind of a character uh, qualities should be set forth in his life and, and I want to just talk about a few things before I really get into these ver- these verses and these qualifications and that is this: these qualifications set forth here in this text are not for every person who's in gospel ministry. they are precisely, specifically for the bishop, the pastor, the elder. For instance, a person could be involved in prison ministry. These, All these qualifications would not pertain to that person or maybe they're a Sunday school teacher or maybe they were in children's ministry or helping some other form of ministry in the church, but these are specifically for, for a pastor. Uh, we often think of them in relation to the work of missionaries because there is a sense in which a missionary who's a church planter will serve as the pastor for a while until the church has a pastor. Another thing I want to say is these qualifications are never outdated. You know, that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. So people might look at certain things and say, well, that was true in Paul's day, but this, this Bible's the guide for all generations, and we know that that's true. So having said that, and I hope you'll listen carefully what I'm about to say. Having said that, that these qualifications are uh, specifically for pastors, that should not be interpreted as, as thinking that only pastors need to have the kind of character that's laid out for us in the scripture, because that's not true. All of God's children, all of God's children are to lead exemplary lives. We're to be salt and light in this dark world. As a matter of fact, we're gonna come right back here to 1 Timothy, but go to the right a few books to the book of James. And I wanna read in James chapter three a passage that that speaks to that about um, how that people who are in places of leadership, not just pastors, but people in places of leadership should be concerned about their character, their their, um, integrity, their honesty, their purity, things of that nature. In James chapter 3, James writes in verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, The word for masters there is not talking about slave owners, masters. The word masters is translated from didaskalos, which is a common word in the New Testament. And it describes people who are in places of leadership, instructors, leaders, teachers. And James puts himself in that if you look in verse 1. Be not many masters, knowing that we, James was a leader, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. We're going to what does that mean? Those in positions of leadership are going to be judged by a higher standard. That's just that's the that's life. That's the way it is. And I think in our church we try to we try to help people see that you know whatever if you're in a place of leadership, you need to be concerned about your testimony. You need to be concerned. None of us are perfect, just like we heard in that song, none of us are perfect. And, but we're to, we're to be ex, lead exemplary lives. I'll take my wife for example. You know, she's not in any official position, but she's a leader among women. And her character matters. Her, her demeanor matters. The way she conducts herself matters. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just rambling because I don't have enough stuff to fill up the hour. I'm saying this. As Christians, we ought to be concerned, all of us, about our character, about our integrity, about our honesty, about our purity. All of us, should be everyone, and especially if we're in a place of leadership. Again, no one really is held to a higher standard than that of a pastor as far as the Bible is concerned, but every person, every Christian, and especially every leader should be concerned about their deportment, their testimony, their example. And so, just having so I say that because you could say, well, I'm not a pastor, so it doesn't really matter about me. Not so. You know, um, I was thinking about this today because it just seems like in our generation, I'm not talking about just in the people I know in our church, I'm talking about just the general tone of our culture. More and more people who are Bible Christians, Bible believers say they've been saved, act like nothing really matters except being saved. It doesn't really matter how we live. But that's not true. And for a person to believe that, something one of several things are true. Number one, they don't, believe, they don't read their Bible just like we just read clear language. All of us are going to be concerned about our testimony, and example. Either they don't believe their Bible or they just want a pass on everything that requires anything of them. But we're not like that. We want to be Bible Christians. And by the way, all Christians should be Bible Christians, right? We're in First Timothy chapter 3. So I just want to clarify that character matters for all of us. Now let's do our best to get through this passage tonight. In the first, and by the way, um let, let me go somewhere else real quick. Hold your put your hand right there in 1 Timothy 3 and go to the right to Titus. That's just a few pages. Titus 1. And I'm not going to keep going back and forth between these passages, but but Titus, Paul's letter to Titus, his epistle to Titus, also gives these various qualifications. In verse 5, Titus 1, 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, Titus, I left you there in Crete, on this island, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. And here again is A similar list, if any be blameless. The husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless. As the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. Boy, that makes me mad. (laughs) Not given to wine, no striker. Not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, Holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So I just want to give that another context really because these two lists are not identical, but they're very similar. And one of the first thing mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2, which is also mentioned in Titus two different times, is a bishop then must be blameless. It's very important to understand what that word means. And I'll tell you what it does not mean. Blamelessness does not mean sinlessly perfect. If it meant perfect, only a few of us would be able to qualify. <laughs> right? No it what does it mean then? The word is translated in another place as unrebukable. And that really kind of defines what blamelessness is. One definition says that it's it's having nothing to hold upon. What it basically means is that, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means a, a pastor has to deal with the wrongs in his life. He has to, there nothing, You no accusation can stick. You say if you were to, If you knew knew a man that was a pastor, and maybe he did uh, lose his temper someplace and got mad and it was a bad testimony, but he recognized it, he confessed it, he repented of it, then you can't blame him for that anymore because he he dealt with it. A, a, uh, A pastor must be blameless, always willing to make wrongs right, both with God and with others. And of course... Uh, there are many other places this matter, matter of blamelessness, blamelessness is mentioned. I want to read one uh, to you real quick if I can find it. Um, Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, said this. You are witnesses, and God also, Paul writes, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And so a pastor needs to be... Blameless. Matter of fact, I'll I'll give you another one. This is even. This applies to every single Christian. Just listen as I read this passage here in just a moment Um, from Philippians. This is this is what Paul wrote to the church. So this is not to the pastor. This is the whole church. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So right there it says every one of us are to be blameless. What does that mean? That means we don't have any sin in our life. We're not dealing with. We're not hypocrites. We're not one way at church and another way at home. And that's really a a bishop ought to be blameless because he occupies a high and holy occupation really is God's steward. So all, and by the way, all of us are to live blameless lives. What that, what that means is, when you and I do something wrong, we ought to make it right, pronto. Confess it and forsake it. No one, no one in your family, no one that lives near you, nobody you work with should be able to point a finger at you and say, he's a Christian, I saw him do this, I know he did this and he's never made it right. Every one of us are going to make mistakes. But blameless means we make it right. That's what that word means. Some of these I'll give a little more attention to than others. The second one he mentions in verse 2 is the husband of one wife. Which, who would want more than one mother-in-law, right? (laughs) Now what does that mean, the husband of one wife? There's a lot of opinions about what that means. (laughs) And for one thing, it makes it clear to me, as do other passages, that the pastoral position is for males, right? I believe it's just teaching that a pastor has only one living wife, that he hasn't been married and divorced and remarried to another person. That would make him having more than one I think that's what that means. Some people believe it just prohibits polygamy, which means which was a common practice in New Testament days, people did. Some people believe that. I think it means more than that. And I think the spirit of that expectation is seen in the further further down in the verse. Look at it where it says in verse 4, "One that ruleth well his own house, having his children "...in subjection with all gravity for a man, know not how to rule his own house. How shall he take care of the church of God?" And so that's really the spirit of it. It means if you can't keep your family together, if you can't keep your children on board, if you can't keep your marriage intact, how are you going to be a spiritual leader in the church? If a man can't lead his family, according to the Bible, this is not our opinion, it's what the Bible says, if a man can't lead his family, he can't lead the church." So husband of one wife, that's, that's the spirit, I believe, of that, of that restriction or that qualification. Now, I have just recently, I had this happen to me, a man that's been in the ministry for many years. He's actually serving in another country. And he called me and he said, I want to ask you a question, a theological question. And it was about, do I think that a pastor, since it says that a bishop is the husband of one wife, Does that mean that a pastor has to be married in order to be a pastor? That's a good question, isn't it? And I referred him to my wife. I said, I I don't know the answer, but she does. (laughs) And this is what I said to him. I can't dogmatically say that a pastor has to be married. And here's why. Paul was an apostle and he wasn't married. Right? Jesus was an apostle and was sent from heaven to come here, and he was not married. They both had, Jesus was a pastor of the church, right? The first church he started. He was not married. So I said, dogmatically, I can't say that a pastor must be married. But I think in almost every case, it would be advisable for any pastor or missionary to be married. In the history of our church, Uh, Since I've been pastor, we've only supported one single missionary, and that missionary was serving in a very dangerous Muslim country, and and in my mind, and he was doing a great work, and I thought to myself, it may be to his advantage in that situation. That he, that he would, and, we, and since then he's been married and has family, etc. But, so husband of one wife, that's what I think it means. And it would be almost, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be impossible, but it would be the exception more than the rule for us to pass, uh, support a missionary who was not married, having said that. I know some men who were married and pastoring, and their wife went to be the Lord, and they are therefore single, and they pastored for a while, and I'm thinking of someone for quite a long, while. And so I'm just, what I'm saying is, I don't think it has to mean that a pastor has to be married. You follow me? Okay? And, I'm, and, and when I say I'm not dogmatic, that means I'm not dogmatic about it. Let's move on. Verse 2, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. The third qualification is vigilant. And that means he must have sound judgment. He's got he's to have self-control. It wouldn't be wise for a man to be a pastor who doesn't have wisdom about financial decisions or even about his own more morality or his physical health, not taking care of himself or his leisure, all those things. It means having good, sound judgment, not given to extreme. Fourth one, you might think, well, why do these things even have to be in here? Because God said put them in here. Uh, The fourth one, he needs to be sober, which does not mean that he's not intoxicated. It means he has a a sound mind. He's discreet. He has a wisdom, you know, because the the mind is a battlefield. And a pastor has to have 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 sound mind, sound wisdom. And then it says in verse 2, of good behavior. And I, I study these words out, and I'd encourage you to do that in various resources. But good behavior just means it's order, he's orderly, and there's an appropriateness about his life. and He, he, he has a sense of, of what is right in his conduct, his conversations, his associations, all that's a part. These are pretty high requirements. Uh, and then a very important one, all of them are important, but verse 2, it says, given to hospitality. A pastor has to be a people person. And that for some people would be, would not be a challenge, but for some of us who are more introverted, that is a challenge. You know, I've, you've heard me say this, it's very, very true, very honest with you that I'm, you know, when I started this whole thing about going to church and getting around Christians and, and then dedicating my life to serving the Lord, one of the hardest things For me, was just being a people person, more gregarious in my personality, because it wasn't me. I like I'd been I want. this is not this is not exaggeration. When I was a teenager, I thought about just being a hermit. You know, I I always wanted to be by myself. I thought about jumping a freight train and just riding somewhere and living in a box car. That's the I'm I'm a very that's what my natural tendency is. But I can't be that way as a pastor. I mean, if I don't even like you, I've got to be nice to you, right? <laughs> so it has to be, what does that mean? Given to hospitality means they're friendly, they're approachable, they have a genuine love for people. And then it says, apt to teach. That's an interesting qualifications. Apt means able, capable of teaching. I mean, if a And what that tells me a lot about teaching and preaching, I think there's a certain spiritual giftedness. There's a gift of teaching. We know that in Romans chapter 12. But it also tells us that teaching and preaching is something we can learn to do. We can can improve it. It's not just something you're naturally born with. If you're going to be a preacher, a teacher, you need to learn to study. Have good study habits. Study the Bible. Read. Be a reader. Take learning seriously. You know, there's a lot of ways to learn. One way we learn by studying. Another way we learn is by listening. Listening, paying attention. Another way is by observing. Watch other people. We learn. All these are ways of learning. And you say, why are you taking the time with this? Because I think it's good to see what the Bible says about this. And and not only do we have to be able as teachers and preachers to understand truth, But we have to be able to present it in a way that others understand it. And that's not always the easiest thing to do either. But anyway, he has to be apt to teach. Um, Another kind of a challenging one in verse 3, not given to wine. Now what does that mean, not given to wine? And it really describes drunkenness. It's not really too good if the preacher comes to the pulpit... A little loopy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and this whole thing about wine, I'm going, to do, I'm going to devote a whole sermon in the near future to drinking what the Bible says and those kind of things because wine in the Bible is a very generic word. Most people that have studied it know that. It doesn't always mean... Matter of fact, in the days of the Bible, the whole matter of distilling beverages for the, for the cause of intoxicating people was not what it is today. And wine is sometimes even used in the Bible describing the pure grape juice. It's the word wine is used. It's used even once, at least once, to describe the grapes that are still in the cluster. It's called wine. And so for people to say you know, that Jesus made wine, and if Jesus made wine so people can get drunk, you know, why can't we all take a drink every once in a while? But that's not like the wine that's today, that's used for the purpose of intoxication. As a matter of fact, this, I, every resource that I've ever read says this, that, that water was not always to be trusted in the East Middle Eastern culture, that sometimes they would dilute wine with water and that they would do that for the sake of having beverages that was, you could be trusted, that it, that it wouldn't be harmful to you. And so it's not and so it's and when I take the whole if I take everything I've ever read many times about wine and strong drink I come away with a clear clear conviction that God's best for any of his children is not to drink intoxicating beverages. There's not even a question about that in my mind and there's much in the Bible about it. So so, but for the pastor, he certainly needs to keep himself away from that. And, and that isn't, I don't want to dive in. I'll talk, cover this in more detail in the next message when I talk about drinking. But um, that's not even talking about your testimony, what it would do to someone if they sat down at a restaurant and saw me having an alcoholic beverage. What would that you and, and if you don't think that, that matters, then you need to re examine you're under your responsibility to other people causing people to stumble all that goes into that equation so not given to wine and verse three no striker that means if you're a bowler you can't ever get a strike i don't have a problem with that brother crane i can't get him anyway now a pastor should not be quarrelsome they shouldn't be contentious. They shouldn't be argumentative. They shouldn't be quick tempered. I'm serious about that. They shouldn't be easily angered. No striker. And then it says, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now, that filthy lucre is talking about money. And all money is not filthy lucre. Uh, so it's more than just covetousness. It mentions covetousness, but I think it's it's just it's shady money that it's 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 having financial gain as a part of your motivation for ministry. And uh, many many preachers, many many more than you and I would ever know, have been disqualified over matters regarding money, and and various things that were inappropriate having to do with money. Money is a, the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And so they have to really be, have a handle on that. And then pay, they need to be patient, verse 3 there, not, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient. So a pastor has to be patient, forbearing, considerate, kind, um, you know because in the ministry you have to spend a lot of time waiting on God and sometimes you have to spend time waiting on people you have to be patient Um, it's it's a part of the requirement you're not it's not like being a supervisor where you can always say well I'm gonna fire you if you don't start doing a better job I'm gonna fire you they're all volunteers if you fire them all you don't have anything left so has to be patient not a brawler That's the next one, verse 3, not a brawler. And again, that's being confrontational, being argumentative. We're to be peacemakers. And Titus says, not soon angry. And uh, all of us have different personalities. But I think personally, every one of these that I've looked at, I I think relates to every person. I don't think it's just to a pastor. I mean, none of, none of us should be argumentative. None of us should be strikers. None of us should be, but we're certainly not to be brawlers. And then he mentions in verse 3, not covetous. I think that means we're free from the love of money. You know, covetousness doesn't have to just be about money. Covetous means you want what somebody else has. If you were a spiritual leader and you wanted somebody else's ministry or wanted their popularity or wanted their... whatever it is. And contentment's a great place to be, isn't it? Contentment is important. In the Christian life, again, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, to church members, about the value of contentment. And so a pastor certainly needs to learn not to be covetous. And then this matter of the family life, again in verse 4, one that ruleth Well, and again, we mentioned ruling last Sunday night as a as a part of what a pastor does. He's a leader, and he rule. But the word rule doesn't mean to be a tyrant, to be a dictator. It means that you're leading people and influencing people in a good way. And so it says in verse five, or verse four, excuse me, one talking about this pastoral candidate, one that ruleth well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. And then in parentheses, Paul writes this application. It is an application, a reason. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he care for the church of God? How can, if you can't lead your own wife, if you can't lead your own children, how can you lead a congregation of people. And so this is this is an important qualification. Titus says having faithful children not accused of right or unruly. Now if children if children had to be perfect in order for a pastor to be a pastor, um, there wouldn't be many pastors, right? It's not talking about perfection. Children are children. But it's talking about leading your family. And by the way, just as a point of reference or whatever, I know of two pastors, personally, I know of two pastors that within the last two months have resigned their church because of problems in their family. And... And you could say, well, it, you, you know, you've you got to separate the home life from the ministry life. You can't separate the home life from the ministry life. And by the way, I want to say something now to maybe young men here who think maybe one of these days you're going to be a pastor, maybe even people in their teens or early, you think maybe God might want you to do that someday. That, that's why you need to be thinking today about the kind of family you're going to have. Not wait until then. Say, well, one of these days I'll get my family together. No. We, we need to be working on these things all the time. The pastor has to be able to manage and lead and guide his home. And by the way, that's a great challenge, right? And it's not just a challenge for you, it's a challenge for me, it's a challenge for any of us because to, to keep a spiritually healthy and biblically sound family is a great privilege, but it's a great challenge. And, there, and again, again, I keep saying this, but I, need, I just want to emphasize it. There are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect families. There are no perfect children. But I'll say t- I'll this also, and you would know this. There are unique, particular challenges to a pastor or a minister's family that a lot of other people don't have to deal with. And you may not even, maybe you never thought about that, but there are. I mean, you... You know, if you have a problem in the church, you don't want that problem to take, follow you home. There may, you know, if they, if they listen to people, and kids or your wife, here's people criticizing the pastor, they, all these things you may never even think about exist. And they wouldn't exist in our church, because our church has never been critical of anybody or anything. But I'm just telling you, other churches aren't perfect like ours. It didn't say in here, not a liar. I've got to pass on that. (laughs) But if bottom line, if we can't lead our family, we can't lead a church. And I've I've told people in our, uh, back in our institute days and teaching people and training people, I believe the home is like a training ground for preparing to serve in a church. Because you get to work with your family, you get to work with your wife, you get to work through things that maybe one says, well, I don't really see this right now. Well, let me show you from the Bible. And we get to and we get to work through conflicts and hurt feelings. and All All this is preparing us for a ministry where you're not going to just be working with your wife and two or three or four or 18 kids. You're going to be working with a whole church full of families. And so the family is a great It's a great proving ground, a great training center. So one that ruleth well his own house. Verse 6, not a novice, which is, that is such a, should be a given. That means not someone that's too young in the faith. Not somebody that's spiritually immature. Wasn't it funny when Brother Ken Graham was... Here and he was talking about a church that call, want, wanted to call him as their pastor when he was so young he didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> I would say that's a novice, wouldn't you? I mean, something about me says, that must be a novice. But they respected him, but they didn't call him, obviously, because his dad wouldn't let him go. <laughs> his dad, I, I think I told you this. His dad said, How you, it's 40 miles away. How are you going to get there? You, don't have, you can't even drive. You think I'm going to take you 40 miles every time to go to church? So anyway, and maturity comes with time. Maturity comes with spiritual growth and experience. And uh, it says there in verse 6, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. There's a lot about that, you know, that um, we could say. But it's just, you know, two things. I, I believe this about ministry. Two things Can destroy you. One is, one is uh, criticism, and the other is compliments. Either one of them can destroy a person. And we we have to be where we understand that if anything good happened, it's the grace of God that did it. It's not because we did it or we deserve it. You know. So not a novice. Uh, Then verse seven it says: Moreover, he must have a good report. Of them which are without. Now who are those that are without? Those are people not in the church. Those are people in the community. in around us. The lost people. Or people that are not in the church. He must have a good report. Of them which are without. A good testimony outside the church. Uh, and again it says. Lest he fall into the reproach. And the snare of the devil. It matters our Our interaction, and that's true of everybody, but it's especially true of the pastor. Our interaction, um, our attitude, our behavior, our morality, the way we handle our finances, if we pay our bills, all that kind of stuff matters in the community. And by the way, the community watches us. I'm not just not me, watches us, they watch us. I'll never forget this. I I didn't plan on saying this, but I'll never forget this. Many years ago, we had a situation in our church where some people were upset with me. Isn't that weird? (laughs) People were upset with me. And people in our church. And uh, I was in town one day, and I, I met a business owner that's never been to our church. And this business owner said to me, Brother Tom, I just want to tell you. I know people are critical of you, but he said, I've known you for a lot of years. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, I know you're an upright person, whatever. And that was a great source of encouragement to me from someone that had nothing to do with our church. Isn't that good? And I said, would you please come share that with our church? (laughs) We've got an opening Wednesday night. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which were throughout, lest he fall in the reproach and condemnation of the devil. Now, that's the end of the list here, but I, wanted, I want to mention a few that, that are in Titus that are not here. As a matter of fact, let's just go to Titus. And I'm not going to read it, but I'll just point them out. There are some in Titus that are part of these qualifications, and I'm just going to mention them briefly, I hope, because one of them to me is one of the most important ones of all and that's in verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, and here it is, not self-willed. That is a great description of what is not to be a part of a char- the character makeup of a pastor. But it shouldn't be any of us. self will means they're stubborn, it's prideful, It's going to be my way, not seeking God's will, just what I want. And uh, the pastor is not an owner. It's not his church. He's a steward of the responsibility. But a self-willed leader can be overbearing, impulsive, so not self-willed. Another one here in Titus, in verse 8, says a lover of hospitality. We've covered that. A lover of good men. That's a very interesting quality. But the pastor must... Really appreciate people who love God and serve God. A lover of good men. I'm glad that's in the list. And another one that's in Titus but not in Timothy is in verse 8 where it says uh, just. Just the word just. J-U-S-T. Just has to do with justice. It means integrity, honesty, being trustworthy, being upright, not not a respecter of persons. And another one in Titus in verse 8 is... Right after just. And it's holy. He lives a holy life. Again, nobody's perfect. But holiness ought to be a characteristic of God's children. All of God's children. means they're set apart. Separate, separated to God. Both as a believer and as a servant of God. And uh, holiness, by the way, you know this. But I just want to say it. Holiness is not just something that's outward. Holiness really comes from our relationship to God. And and it's an inward spirit. And then Titus mentions the word temperate. Last word in verse 8. Temperate, which is self-control, a disciplined life. And then we'll close uh, with verse 9, which is a part of the qualifications. Notice the last of verse 8. Sober, just, holy, temperate, not not a period. The sentence continues into verse 9. Holding fast, the pastor must hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, those who would be critical. Holding fast the faithful word. The pastor ought to possess an understanding of God's Word and the doctrines of God's Word, but retain them. And uh, there's a lot of people who start off believing one thing and then change, not because the Bible changes, but because they change. And it says, as they had been taught. That means we're to hold fast what we have learned. And uh, because there's always pressure to compromise, I think we all understand that. So those are the qualifications of the pastor. And I said I, that I was closing with that, but that's just a pre-close. Here's the real close. What is, if we just back away from this, if we look at it up close, we see these individual qualities and characteristics that we're looking for in a pastor. But if you back up a little bit and look at it, what you see is the importance of individuals and families preparing their lives to serve. Because you don't call a person to be a pastor or a deacon. A deacon has the same kind of list. You don't call a person to be a pastor or a deacon hoping that they will become that way. You call them because they're living that way. Now, does that make sense to you? And I go back to what we said this morning in the life of Timothy and how Timothy's preparation for pastoring began on his mother and grandmother's knee when they were teaching him the Word of God. And so, all of us, can I just say that and emphasize it for every man? I'm saying man because it's pastors to be a male, but but all of us as men and women, we're to be building these disciplines into our lives. All of us. All of us are to be trustworthy. All of us are to be honest. All of us are to be pure and holy. All of us are to be living circumspect lives. And I think these qualities ought to motivate us to be better. All of us to be better for the glory of God. I think sometimes if we don't discipline ourselves, we've, we put the bar, we set the bar too low for what we expect of ourselves as children of the Most High God, as servants of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't set the bar too low. I read a very interesting quote yesterday on a news page. I was just glancing at some news articles, and there was a quote there from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. who's most famous for his poem, Paul Revere's Ride. This is what he said about our subject. He said, if you would hit the mark, you must aim a little above it. Every arrow that flies feels the attraction of earth. If you're shooting an arrow, you better shoot a little bit higher because it's going to be falling as it travels. And when I read that, I thought, we, we make the same mistakes sometimes. We set the bar far too low for what we expect of ourselves. If you're shooting an arrow, shoot it higher. You follow me? That's all of us. For our honesty, our integrity, our purity, our holiness, and... The next time we get into this study, we're going to look at the deacons. And I'm just going to give you this little preface about that. In Acts chapter 6, when the church needed some men, and you already know this, but it's just good to think about. The apostle said, look out among you men that fit this description. They already fit the description. that the church ought to be filled with teenagers and men and women, married and single. the church ought to be full of people who are living holy, godly lives. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. But this this idea—if you—if you've ever thought this—well, you know, I'm not the pastor, and I'm not a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't really matter I, how faithful, how dependable, how trustworthy. How uh, no, that's wrong. That's a wrong way of looking at it. Expect more of yourself. You'll never. You'll. You know, if you expect too much of yourself, you'll. I promise you, not one of us will get to heaven. And find out, man, you didn't have to live so serious about it. You were you spent no, none of us are gonna find that's true. Give our best for the master. Amen. Makes sense, doesn't it? Young person, that's all of us. And if you don't do it now. Assuming that God doesn't just do a drastic work in your life down the road. So if you don't start now, you could make mistakes in your youth that would keep you from being what God wants you to be one of these days. It's true, right? It's true. Let's shoot higher. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, it's just a blessing to read your word and to Look at what your word says about leaders in the church. And, and Father, we've said already in this sermon, we've said it many times in our life, none of us are worthy, none of us can make, meet the standard of what you want us to be and on our own. But we thank you that by the work of your grace, by the power of salvation, regeneration by the grace and the work of the Spirit of God in our life, and the Bible to guide us. Lord, you allow us to strive to be what you want us to be as citizens of heaven. We thank you for that. God, would you work in our hearts. I pray tonight that you would in all of us. God, that we might want to be our best for you, for your glory, for your honor not for any reason for us to boast or think we're better than anybody else, but that you would be pleased. Help us to encourage each other and exhort each other and edify each other and pray for one another. And, Father, to embrace what you say in your word. While our heads are bowed and while folks are praying,